Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. Spring has sprung and March is nearly over, which means that CanMed 23 is right around the corner. We're really excited about the event this year and we have a lot of great things planned. On Monday, May 15th, we will be holding four immersive professional development workshops, including our full day medical practicum, a cultivation workshop focused on plant pathogens, a capital markets workshop focused on funding cannabinoid innovation, and a newly designed lab compliance testing workshop that's all about potency inflation. The following two days will feature oral presentations that were curated by the CanMed Advisory Board that cover topics like hoplate and viroid, the medicinal value of minor cannabinoids and flavonoids, Delta THC, and much more. We also have two amazing beach dinners planned. The May 15th dinner will include a tribute to Professor Machulam, who sadly passed away earlier this month. The meal will include remarks from Professor Lumire Hannes, Deddy Mary, and Brendan McKernan. Attendees will also have the opportunity to commemorate Professor Machulam during the special program planned for the evening. Professor Hannes will be presenting at the May 16th dinner as well on the topic of how cannabis became medicine. As you can see, we have packed a lot of excellent content into the three-day summit, and I haven't even mentioned the world-class accommodations and amenities that attendees can enjoy at the Marriott Marco Island Beach Resort. All the information is at canmedevents.com. Go there today, and I hope to see you in Florida. My guest today is Anthony Repay. Anthony is currently serving as the laboratory director of Method Testing Laboratories in Tampa, Florida. Anthony started his career as the head food and environmental microbiologist at a Chicago-based testing laboratory before joining the cannabis science community. Since joining cannabis, Anthony has tried to innovate and push the cannabis microbiology community by publishing peer-reviewed papers, speaking on proper quality control, and volunteering in several nationwide cannabis groups. During our conversation, we discuss how growers can incorporate microbial testing into their processes, sources of microbial contamination and tips for prevention, how differences in microbial regulations influence growers in certain states, remediation technologies, and more. Before we get to my conversation with Anthony, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, RS Biotherapeutics. RS Biotherapeutics' mission is to harness the therapeutic power of cannabinoids in the research, development, and commercialization of life-changing medicines. RS Biotherapeutics' first investigational compound is a nebulized semi-synthetic cannabidiolic acid complex in development to address exacerbation and prevent progression of both acute and chronic pulmonary inflammation related to respiratory diseases, including COPD, SARS-CoV-2, cystic fibrosis, asthma, bronchitis, and acute respiratory distress syndrome. More information on RS Biotherapeutics can be found at 
rsbiotherapeutics.com. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Anthony Repay. Good afternoon, Anthony. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Of course. So I'm excited to talk with you today about a topic that's near and dear to our hearts here at Medicinal Genomics, and that's microbial testing. As you might expect, us being one of the most widely used cannabis microbial testing platforms, it's a topic we've explored before. In prior episodes, we've talked about the value of microbial testing when it comes to patient and consumer safety. And we've talked with laboratory professionals like yourself about some of the differences in tech testing techniques, which I know that are topics that you're well qualified to address. But today I'm interested in talking with you about the grower's perspective, mainly what should growers know about microbial testing? And perhaps most importantly, what are things that they can do to reduce their microbial contamination risk? So to start us off, I'd like to ask you in your experience, how concerned are growers with microbial testing and where does it rank on their list of concerns? Oh, that's a great question. So um, honestly, I believe it's, it's one of the most talked about, if not the most talked about um, subject, at least in, in the grower's perspective. And, you know, we, we have these issues where microbials, um, they, they're not seen. Um, I mean, obviously we, we have some, you know, powdery mildew and we have visible mold growth, um, botrytis and all, you know all of these different things that are visible, but when it, when it comes to generic um, microbial, it, it, it's hard to detect. Um, I, I think of, you know, I, I subcategorize different things between, you know, chemistry and, and, and microbiology. Um, and most laboratories um, pretty have a pretty robust chemistry uh, department that will allow them to do pesticide screening, you know, heavy metal screening, things that can cause compliance failures. Um, whereas on the microbial side, um, unfortunately, it, it often happens where you, you don't see it until it's kind of too late. And that's where I, I feel like, you know, the, the environmental monitoring aspect of it all is very important. Um, but it, it definitely is. It's a question that I get often maybe two to three times a week is, hey, you know, I, I'm failing for this. Um, what's going on and, and how can I fix this? And it, it just kind of it, it, I know it's on everybody's radar. Uh, especially as we look at different states and we look at um, different multi-state operations that uh, they're trying to bring a cookie cutter approach to to different states. So like, for instance, if, if we look at, um, so previous to my tenureship came from Nevada. Um, and so we have a whole different experience or, or threshold testing and, and present absent testing that, that goes into the Nevada regulations, whereas currently I reside in Florida and do compliance testing in Florida. Um, and we have a, I, I wouldn't say completely different, um, but we, we do have less things to test for. For instance, um, in, in Nevada, we're testing for um, enterobacteria, total coliform analysis, uh, and in Florida for, for threshold testing. And um, your present absence are, you know, basically the same. Um, and, and, and in Florida, we're, we're generically just testing for um, total yeast and mold. Uh, so as we, as we bring these cookie cutter approaches to different uh, MMTCs or, or different places, um, it, it, it can struggle. Um, and and it, the best I can say is, is keeping a good, clean operation 
is is the is my first approach. Um, and you, you'd be shocked when you go into some of these places um, and, and you see uh, what what is going. And, and I, I think back to um, you know previous places that I, I've had where I was I was visiting, and of course I I can't say any names, but um, <laughs> and, uh, I don't know if I can even say that on your podcast, but. Um, I think I think back to different places I've toured, and um, they're like, "We're failing for mold," and I'm like, "Oh, okay, yeah, let, let's figure this out." And I, and can I come on site? And of course, I come on site, and I'm like, "Well, you have standing water with with mold on top of it," and they're like, "Well, yeah, 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 yeah." That, and I'm like, "Well, you know that if it's in your your facility as a whole, um, it's very easy to get trapped into the grows and and." Just it, it needs to be clean from front to step, uh, you know, from front of the house to the back of the house. And that's the cleanliness is the first place that I start with. Um, and that's that's just how it, how it should be. I mean, if we think of these like, a, I mean, this is this is people's medicine. Not only that is it, it's a it's a plant. So not only do you have the, um, the botany approach to to keeping things uh, controlled and aseptic and, and clean, but you also have that, that this should be also as clean as a medical grade facility. Um, and, and it should be treated like that. Um, and so that it definitely is one of the, the larger questions that I hear from. No, and that's a great point. When you talk about microbial, it's, it's hidden, it can't be seen. And I think with a lot of, you mentioned powdery mildew and now hoplite and viroid is another thing that's hot on everyone's mind. Those are things that are actually affecting the health of the plant, right? Absolutely. So that's something that can be sort of apparent to right. a grower. But I would imagine that in a lot of cases, growers don't really know that they have a problem with microbial contamination until they send a sample to labs like yourself and they get the results back. Is that right? That, that's pretty correct. Um, and, and that's where, so like each state again is different. Um, so in Florida, for instance, we have a pretty heavy um, R&D side of testing. So that being said, uh, when samples are submitted, they're more often than not, they're submitted for R&D testing first before they're packaged in. And because we do post-packaged uh, testing here in Florida. Um, so they do you know, R&D testing, screen it for their, their pathogens, their, their microbes that could be failing. And then when they package it, um, then you get the compliance testing. So you're kind of doing it twice to confirm on the front end. Um, so they would see it on that R&D side so that they can do some remediation um, and anything along those lines. And then, um, but then on the packaging side is when things get difficult, where you have compliance failures. Um, and then, you know, those are very costly from a, not only from, uh, from a grower standpoint, but from just trying to figure out what, what happened. Um, and then, yeah, that, I mean, the, the question, I guess the key of it all is that, um, I mean, test, test early and test often. Right. Um, is is don't it, it it is costly and i understand that and you and you, you have different avenues to kind of do things here is you can do you know in-house screening you could do you know uh submitting r d samples to a um a third-party testing to do um out, out of house testing to just kind of screen for these um to monitor where it comes it also comes in um how, how you mentioned how like you don't really know if you have a problem until you have a problem uh it, it, it depends on how your grow is set up truly and, you know, I've been to several different grows now where um, some of them are very compartmentalized, where the grow tables are actually, um, and, and for, for your guys' visual reference, it is, um, it was an old like storage unit facility. Hmm. Um, so they would, they converted, they can uh, like these large multi-room grows. It was really, really cool. Um, uh, and so like from a microbial standpoint, it made me really happy because these rooms were segregated to a fact that 
you know, this was this one, they had dedicated ventilation, no crossover. The only way that a microbe could get in was through the door or from person to person transfer. Um, and so from those instances, you can kind of subject it and kind of look at the results and, okay, so room 12 has been failing. Uh, we failed, you know, 10 of our last 20 lots out of room 12. What are we doing in room 12? And that's where your remediation steps come in. So when the room comes down, you, you go through your dry, your drying process. Are you cleaning properly? Um, air ducts, are we, are we cleaning the ducts all the way properly? Um, what are these next steps to make sure that that next grow, that next harvest that goes into that room is also not contaminated? Um, and on the, on the other side, the flip side of it, um, I've seen grows where they're giant facilities, uh, just one giant room full of, of, of marijuana. And, you know, each table is, you know, is, is that, you know, table one, table two, table three. And, you know, if, if that's the case, if you're having a trouble in that one room, uh, you, you could cost you your whole grow at that point. Um, mm. so it's, it's best to find a way to kind of se separate and then, you know, eat, treat each table or treat each room, um, as its own separate entity so that, you know, for instance, um, when, you know, it, it, and it comes to strains too. So like some strains seem to have a, a, a denser, you know, a more robust, I guess, bud would be the term I would use. Um, and then some are not as big, you know, they, they tend to grow, you know, smaller buds and, and treating each one of those different with the light cycles and the cleaning cycles is just important. Yeah. No, and you make a good point of test early and test often. So yeah. how early and how often? I mean, is is it throughout the plant's sort of life cycle or is that sort of just taken as, you know, one point in time and then it's the processing, the drying, the curing, or or is it all of the above? So like how, how often should they be testing? Absolutely. Um, so this is again from the microbiologist perspective and of course from the third party labs perspective uh so take that into account but also yeah. uh, more testing is also is much better so for instance um in a, in a, in a previous tenureship we had a, um, a customer that would as soon as those those plants were propagated um, or excuse me as soon as they were grown um we would then first give them viral screening Okay, so they were in this quarantine state. We did viral screening on these um, to confirm that we did not have any hop latent virus was his uh, bread and butter. He didn't like that. He had a pre in a previous job he had it. And so, you know, you get sure. burned from it once. Uh, so we did the hop latent on it um, in the early screening. And then we did a um, just generic environmental screening. So speaking of like state to state and how often do you screen, some states differ in the way that their R&D processes um, are allowed. For, for instance, so you, you need to find ways to get a representation of what that sample um, could give you on a microbial standpoint by testing the environment um, around it. And so quite frankly, by putting in a robust environmental monitoring program will allow you to just kind of get a general idea of how your facility is doing, but also the idea of how that room or that grow is doing specifically. Um, and the easiest way to do this is to do zoning techniques. Um, so this is pretty um, good lab practice, but also pretty pretty normal in your routine grows when it comes to like lettuce testing, tomato testing, but and, and then also uh, food testing as well, is setting up a zone network of how often do things come into contact. Um, so obviously your, your trimming scissors, your, um, your tables, your lines, your fert lines, your RO tanks, um, all of those things impact your production every single day. Um, those should be tested more frequent 
than the things that attack that um, affect your samples on a weekly or a monthly basis. So what I when when working with um, quality departments at at grows, uh, we we first develop a list and then we develop you, you know so your zone one is your everyday, and your zone four is are things that you know okay we use that once or twice you know I had a grow that you know barely did pre rolls we barely use the pre roll machine so okay so we're gonna put that in zone four. Um, we, if we're barely using this, uh, the pre-roll machine, let's put that in zone one, but we're always doing fresh flower. Okay, cool. So let's put the trimming scissors and the trimming table on zone one and the frequency at which we test those should be reflected upon that. Um, and to give you a good idea, not only that, setting up a zone in a grid-like pattern for your actual grow facility. And what I, what I mean by that is microbials tend to interact in in conditions that are favorable for them. So that being said, you can use indicator organisms. Um, so like your total yeast and mold, your enterobacteria, your, your total coliform, um, to get a general idea of the cleanliness and, and how your flower will perform on a microbial standpoint. So let's, you know, the hot topic for at least in, in Florida and for everybody is, you know, it's total yeast and mold in aspergillus. Uh, everybody, everyone likes to talk about aspergillus. Everyone likes to talk about total yeast and mold. So uh, let's talk about it. Um, total aspergillus. I'm just gonna, you know, not make any headlines here, but aspergillus is a mold. Awesome. Uh, so it will be encompassed in a total yeast and mold test. So that, that being said, by doing generic total yeast and mold analysis on different areas in your grid-like pattern in your facility. You can then kind of think, how likely will aspergillus grow in these conditions? Um, because they're more favorable to grow in things that are favorable to them. So setting up, uh, so like for instance, when I would go into, when I, I talked earlier about the, um, the cultivation that was from a kind of like a, an old um, storage unit facility. And so I treated every room in a grid-like pattern. So I would go, you know, front, middle, back, side, side. And what we would find is that there was not a lot of light that was growing in the, the back left corners. This often yielded and popped high on my total yeast and mold environmental tests. And they were also feeling for a lot of yeast and mold. So as long as we're focusing the clean on those hot spots that we know tend to grow that total yeast and mold, um, they, they, you're going to cut down on your failures or at least try to cut down on your failures. And then what I say is, okay, we find the hot spots. Um, I, I throw a large net into the sea. We find the hot spots. We find what works, and then you start to go there. I come in for a retest. Um, we test those spots to make sure that your cleaning analysis is actually sufficient, um, and then mm. we do it again, and we find a new hot spot. Um, and we do that, and so we don't find hot spots, but we just find what I call like warm spots, things that we should be kind of either on my radar, but um, they may or may not be causing failures. Um, and then when we move on that, we just know what the best lab practices are, or excuse me, what the best cleaning practices are for that specific facility. And they're all different. Um, you know, it, I just think back to like uh, Nevada and even here in Florida, it's, um, they're all different. And, yeah. you know, you, you may find buildings that are, um, you know, transformed from a, a different purpose or some that are built out specifically for that purpose. Um, and, and they're all the, the, the ways of remediation and the ways of, combating this microbial um is, is all different yeah and i think those are two wildly different climates too right nevada yes they, and Florida. Are. Yes, they are 
Um, and, and that's where I think, you know, the threshold testings are, are different. Um, so like, for instance, when you, when you talk about Nevada, um, the, for, for flour, um, the failure limit is 10,000 CFU. When you're talking Florida, you're talking 10,000 CFU. And then when you, when you think of like Illinois, the threshold is 1000 CFU. Right. Uh, and, and those are, those three are, I guess, and, uh, as a previous resident of Illinois, but, uh, the, those are three radically different climates um, that, that that you know you have to be playful to the environment that which is that your samples are subjected to. Yeah, and then I have to imagine that having such widely different thresholds for the growers, I mean, those are going to be, I mean, if you're looking at Illinois, for example, that one hundred that one thousand CFU threshold is going to be pretty difficult to meet. No, right. Right. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's definitely it, it. And so you're going to see a lot more indoor grows um, because it's more favorable to um, climates that they can control. Um, wow. And also it snows there. And that's why I keep moving away from it. But uh, <laughs> the it, it's you got to You have to make sure that when in those more rigid testing facilities or, or states that um, more is in your control to the best of your ability. Um, and now that also comes with a double-edged sword because it's much harder to get rid of a microbial contamination in an indoor facility because it right. gets stuck in the, you know, in the, in the, the, the HVAC systems and the different systems that are just built into those facilities. Right. So going back to this whole idea of, of testing early, testing often, and it sounds like from the examples you provided, you're not testing the actual plants you're more testing the environment is that correct now you can um there's two ways of doing it um so like what i would recommend so you're kind of at the um you're you're kind of at the mercy of what the the requirements are for the state to state um so like how rigid is the r d process so for instance like for nevada um for for r d testing to to be even submitted to a state or to a compliance laboratory um, written approval must be sent in to the board. Uh, and then for instance, and then in Florida, it's very common. I, I get R and D samples and I get the compliance samples. It's just how it works. Um, and so each state is just different. So for instance, if, if you're in a state that heavily is allowant of R and D testing, then I would say, let's do the plant. Um, let's see how the plant is, is interacting with its surroundings, uh, throughout its life cycle. Um, and then it's great to have a great environmental monitoring program on top of that, because you can also save on sending me samples. But uh, if you're in a more rigid environment where, um, and neither one is right or wrong, but um, if you're in a more rigid environment where R&D testing is maybe a little bit more um, hard to come by, is the, is the phrase I'd say, then environmental monitoring is, is maybe your only choice. And, and that's where you need to get a, the vast amount of your data at. Okay. And so I'm going to throw an example at you. So say I'm testing the plant itself. I'm a few weeks away still from harvest and we've identified a contamination issue. Kind of what are the steps that they can take to sort of reduce that microbial load potentially on the plant and, and you know, get a, a passing grade? Mm-hmm. So, oh man, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I know that there are several different like kind of remediation steps um, out there that take place. Um, the one often I think about is like, uh, the radiation that you can subject your plant to, um, right. 
and and that that, that can you know first kill off any target microbes um, from that instance. Uh, there was also ozone radiation. Uh, oh, I said almost ozone radiation, but um, uh, there's off there's there's also um, ozone that can be subjected onto the the plant itself uh, in a drying uh, phase. Uh, and so th- th- there are ways to kind of um, when you're at that last level where you've kind of like we need to 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 find a solution. Um, the, I guess the the ultimate uh, thing is if you get a failing, you could always turn it into an extraction. Right. Um, and, that, and that is the nice thing about cannabis is that there's there is like waste. The waste of the actual plant can be used and utilized into a different form of product for the patients. Right. No. And I wanted to get your thoughts sort of on irradiation and uh, some of these sterilization techniques. Um, how does it affect the, the quality of the product? Yeah, I don't know too much about that, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, but I mean, when, when it comes to quality of the product, I can, uh, I don't know where you want to cut that, but um, I don't know too much about it, to be completely honest with you. I've heard multiple things where, um, you know, it, it, it depends who you talk to, to be completely honest with you. Um, and, and being in the third party testing facility, um, I don't, I don't get too much in the weeds of that. Um, when it comes to, when it comes to, um, the effect of the flower, um, but you know, you, you think, you know, I hear some people that are very purists that are like, it, it affects the terpenes and it affects the, um, uh, the potency of it. And then you hear the people that heavily rely on these radiation or these, um, sterilization or remediation, uh, methods, and they say it doesn't do anything. Um, I, as a third party testing facility, um, it, I have not done enough research to kind of like give my say on it. Um, so sure. it, it truly depends on, on who you talk to and, uh, what, what they have to say about it. But that would be something interesting to see. I know that each company, um, has done their own and their, their own maybe, you know, if let's just say like, um, you know, a radiation person may be saying, well, this is what ozone does. And then ozone says, no, we don't do that, but this is what radiation does. Right. Um, and then you're kind of like, well, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's kind of double-edged on that. Sure, sure, sure. Um, wanted to go back to talking about kind of cleaning up the hot spots that you were talking about when you identify them in a facility. So what are the best methods for doing that? Like, is it using a bleach solution or are there other methods? Like, Right. Well, so uh, one of the things that I pr- recommend is always like a 10% bleach solution. Um, not only do you, you get rid of a lot of like, if you're, if you, so if you have a microbial lab, um, not only do you get rid of the amplicons, uh, and the different kind of, uh, microbial mess that can be, can be harming you on that. Um, but it's also a great way to just kind of sterilize and, and kind of clean your room. Um, so like, I know that people do, so like, for instance, the, the I've seen labs or excuse me, I've seen grows that have done like a UV light treatment. And then they've gone in after that, they've done an overnight UV light treatment and then they go around and then they do an ozone bomb and then, then they'll come in and then they'll wear, you know, masks and they'll do a 10% bleach kind of soak of the wall. They'll clean the whole facility and then they'll let it dry and then it's ready to rock and roll. Um, and so that's, that in my opinion is, you know, you're going above and beyond, but your fail rate's low. Uh, so is, 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 as long as the ends justify the means, um, that's, that's what I would say. Um, so for sure, making sure that you have cleaners, um, 10% bleach is what I always recommend for my uh, growers. Right. And so you're, you're saying too, that, you know, once you're, when you're turning over a room, once you've done a harvest and cleaned everything out, do it, do a good sterilization before you're introducing new plants. Absolutely. Um, 
and you'd be surprised with like um, like what can be left on those walls and what can be left on the ceilings and you know in the HVACs in the um, especially in the dry rooms. Um, in the dry rooms, you're, you're not yeah. only, you know, in some cases you have a, a humidifier, some cases you have a dehum, um, they're, they're trying to cure the product, but while having a heavily ventilated area, um, the cross contamination can be, can be massive. Um, so making sure you're, you're also turning over those rooms equally as well as you do your actual grow facilities. Yeah. And that's a great point. Are there, are there environmental conditions that growers should kind of strive for to, kind of create an environment that's not so um, hospitable for microbial growth? Or is it sort of hard to do that when you're dealing with an organic plant? It is very hard to do with that in an organic plant because, you know, at the end of the day, we need to think about um, we are growing a plant. Yeah. Um, and in these fungal, these fungal problems, they're natural. Uh, so they, they tend to thrive in the, in the natural environment that these plants also grow in. Um, so it's, you, while you while you have the optimal grow for your your cannabis actual plant, you also are putting in a pretty optimal environment for the for the target pathogen that could be um, subjected to a failure for that sample. Excellent, excellent. All right. So in closing here, I'm wondering if you have just some some takeaway messages or just some general tips for growers and maybe even home growers as well. I mean, if people are, are listening in. Um, who maybe grow cannabis themselves and maybe are concerned about any um, potential microbial contamination they might have there. Um, so in your, what are some, some tips or best practices they should be keeping in mind? Absolutely. So kind of like uh, my best practices are, again, test early, test often, um, and don't be afraid to ask your laboratory for advice. Um, so like we are uh, hopefully at the point right now in the um, the industry that uh, the laboratories should be well versed on the microbial contaminations that are occurring and, and problematic in their specific state. Um, and if they if they're not, then you, you need to ask someone else, maybe a consultant that can help them. Um, so again, setting up a grid like pattern, knowing where your hotspots are, um, and also sterilizing after the grow are just going to not only they're going to help keep your grow cleaner. And in fact, in doing so, hopefully limit the failures that your grow is then subjected to. Excellent. Great tips. All right. Before I let you go, Anthony, I wanted to give you an opportunity to um, plug any sort of resources that you know of, or maybe you, you've put together that listeners might be able to uh, take a look at to learn more about this topic. And definitely l let us know about any social media or websites that, um, that you have or, or with method testing that yeah learn more about you yeah so of course i'm going to plug method testing laboratories we're um, a compliance laboratory down here uh, in tampa florida um, if you do have any sort of microbial question um, obviously i can't test your cannabis if you're in california or in nevada but um you know i, I do have a linkedin i'm pretty active i'm pretty responsive on linkedin if you if you guys do have any questions or if anyone just um, has comments or you know it's it's still a growing industry um and I would, I would say I would, I would have too big of a head to say I know everything because I don't. Um, and so I would love to not only expand on resources, but networking opportunities that um, can allow us to just kind of grow as an industry together, um, because ultimately that's how we're going to get better as an industry is if, if we grow, we network, we talk about the different problems that are here. And uh, of course, at Method Testing Laboratories, um, 
we're always here to help from not only a, um, a testing facility standpoint, but also a microbial standpoint um, with having not only myself, but an expert group of microbiologists here on staff that are able to help at whenever we need. So. No, yeah, and I love that. I think that all the all the best labs that we work with take that same approach of, you know, they're not just returning re results. They want to work with the grower uh, and try to help solve their problems. And um, I think your your approach to collaboration definitely is in line with uh, our our credo here at CanMed as well of of trying to bring together the uh, the best and brightest in the industry to try to push everything forward. So uh, kudos to you. All right. Anthony, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Uh, it's been great talking with you and uh, hope to see you out in Marco Island. Yes, that, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Anthony Repay. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode sponsor, RS Biotherapeutics. Our next episode drops April 12th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, don't forget to check out the CanMed 23 schedule at canmedevents.com. I think you will find that not only does our lineup include some of the biggest names in the industry, but they are also addressing some of the most important topics such as hoplatin viroid and other plant pathogens, the efficacy of minor cannabinoids and compounds, Delta-8 THC, lab shopping, and more. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity to learn from and network with the leading minds in the industry at a world-class resort. It's going to be an amazing event and I hope to see you there. But of course, if you can't join us, we hope that you'll continue to listen to the podcast Follow us on social media and check out our CanMed archive at canmedevents.com. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and please do come back for the next CanMed Coffee Talk.